Hi everyone, I'm John Mulrod and we are studying the seventh parak of Sefer Melachim. Our parak begins by telling us about Shlomo's palace. It took Solomon 13 years to build the palace. It's also referred to as the Beit Yar Lebanon, which we presume is the same. It's the house of the forest of Lebanon. Interestingly, this palace seems to actually have larger dimensions than the Beit HaMikdash or the Beit HaShem that was described in the earlier parak, Parak Vav. And some commentators even say that this palace is in fact the Beit Hashem. The palace sounds stunning, to be honest. It's, it's large in proportions, it's held up by dozens and dozens of columns. Um, the parak writes, Ve'ulam ha-kiseh He made the throne portico, where he would judge, that was the hall of judgment. The parak then uses interesting wording in Pasuk Zion, the seventh Pasuk, when we were told that the floor was paneled with cedar from floor to floor, the expression is never ordered in exactly this way elsewhere in Tanakh. This jumped out to me. I have a weird interest in uh, biblical idioms, and that's actually where I'm going to focus in today's recording uh, with three examples of these idiomatic expressions. The first one would have made more sense if it was written similarly to the Pasuk from the last chapter. When we read that per the partition in the Kodesh HaKodeshim went Mekareka ad hakerot, or hakera, from the floors to the walls. Or maybe drop a kuf from Kareka and you have Rika, a word sometimes used for the heavens or great heights, and you have from the floor to the sky. And this would have maybe made sense if we're describing the walls of the Ulama Mishpat, the Hall of Judgment. Why would we need to be told, though, that the floor is paneled with cedar from floor to floor? Is it to emphasize the abundance of cedar wood? I'm not sure. One commentator affirms this. Others state that Karaka could actually mean ceiling. Another references Targum Yonatan to state that it meant wall to wall. So you might be wondering, well, why am I going into this digression? And I can only come up with this. In a few weeks' time, Simchat Torah will come and we'll be reading Parshat Bereshit. And in Parshat Bereshit, it's going to use this word rakia. It'll say that Hashem separated the rakia of the heavens and the rakia of the waters below. And you'll look in your art scroll Chumash and you'll find this word translated as firmament, whatever you take that to mean. And maybe then you'll remember back to this 929 recording and you'll think about how this lucid word rakia and all it needs is a kuf in front and it becomes karaka floor. Perkei Avot cautiously warns us against acting as a judge. Perhaps when we're reading of Solomon as a judge, this is the warning that the imagery is trying to communicate. That when acting as a judge, a conduit for justice, a humility is required that makes us aware of the firmaments above us and the firmaments below us, the heavens above and the earth upon which we stand. But continuing in our summary of the chapter, we learn about the stone and the wood being perfectly cut to measure. Shlomo sends for Hiram from Tyre, or Tzor, who we find out is the son of a Jewish widow from Naphtali and the son of a coppersmith from Tzor. We are told he is endowed with chokhmat Funa Vedat, translated perhaps as wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, or skill, ability, and talent. These are words we haven't heard since Betzalan and Ohaliav. 
uh, who designed the Mishkan in the Sinai Desert. And Shlomo will later praise Chochmah, Tfunah, Vedat, again in Shir Shirim. Hiram builds these beautiful bronze columns with two crowns of copper pomegranates at the top of each pillar. Then we're told that Hiram names the column on the right Yachin and the column on the left Boaz. And this is something that Freemasons have a slight obsession with. But uh, never mind that. Uh, Radak writes in his commentary that Yachin here means established and, and Boaz is of course a reference to Oz of strength. Um, and this is intended to convey the meaning that Hashem or maybe Hiram and Shlomo establishes the Beit HaMikdash and, and makes it strong. Hiram takes other artistic liberties. He designed lilies on the columns, and on the labor stand he designs lions, oxen, and cherubim. Um, this is the second of the three idioms that I'm now going to point to. So we're told that on the labor stand uh, that they had katefot, similar to the word shoulder, but translated as brackets. Reading verse 30, each labor stand had four bronze wheels and two bronze axles. Its four legs had brackets, the brackets were under the laver, cast with spirals beyond each. Each. Maver ish liot. Okay. These words uh, are describing the, the spirals that are coming out of the laver with their engravings of lions, oxen, and chrubim. Uh, that if uh, translated directly from the Hebrew, maver ish, are as one man is to another perhaps, just roughly. So Rash, Rashi takes these words to imply that for each male animal engraving, next to it, there was a female animal. Without searching for a deeper meaning here, I think it's worth carefully reading the expressions that Tanakh uses when it's describing this kind of imagery. It might be loaded with meaning, and at the very least, in this case, it allows us to step into Hiram's artistic mindset. Hiram finishes all of the work for Shlomo. We're told all the bronze vessels had been cast in the plain of the Jordan between Sukkot and Zartan. This is going to be our third and final idiom. Where is Sukkot? It is B'nai Yisrael's first destination when they left Egypt, specifically Ramses, and Perak Bet of the Book of Exodus. Where is Zartan? It's the Jews' final destination on their journey to Israel. It's next to where the water stopped on the Arden as the Jews were crossing into Eretz Yisrael. It's incredible to think about the expressions that are being used at the time that Sefer Melachim is written. This wording is probably trying to get across the idea that Shlomo had access to an abundance of bronze all across uh, Chutz Eretz. And it's underlined by the next verse when we're told uh, the, the vessels were unweighted. There was a huge quantity of bronze, just too much to be weighed. But let's have in mind also what, uh, what Rav Alex Israel mentioned a few days ago about Sefer Melachim. That this is written by Yermiyahu sometime around the destruction of the first temple. The Jewish people are once again going into exile, leaving Eretz Israel. That this phrase in the 46th Basuk, Hadama ben Sukkot uven Zartan, the ground between Sukkot and Zartan, is perhaps somehow a nostalgic reference to the wanderings of the Jewish people in Chutz Haaretz, a story that's suddenly becoming very relevant as the Jews are once again going into exile.
but we aren't there yet in Tanakh. For now, Shlomo has made the final vessels for the Beit HaMikdash out of pure gold, the altar, the table, the menorot. And the chapter ends with Shlomo completing his work in the Beit HaShem. In deference to his father, Shlomo brings in the vessels that David HaMelech had dedicated to the future Beit HaShem. If a home that his father David had truly dreamed of.